Amen, amen. So what, 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 what oftentimes will happen in a home, little Jimmy will come up and, and it's time to go to school. And the mom will say, all right, time to go to school. And then she'll go, all right, Jimmy, uh, did you, you got your homework. And Jimmy, right, did you brush your teeth? Did you make your bed? They'll go through the list, and little Jimmy will, right, as the mom is going through the checklist, Jimmy's like, no, nah, oh, no, I forgot to, I forgot to. What, did, what have you done is you've taken on all the responsibility. How many people know that that child, when they grow up to adult, isn't going to get to a job, and the, and the boss is going to go, okay, did you uh, email the customers? Did you? They're not going to go through the list of those things. So it is our responsibility, as the children are growing up, to, and Holly has a great thing that she always did. You want to say it or you want me to say it? Um, Do you have the freedom? So I, child, have another, I have another great thing to say. You have a lot of great things. Ah, so so the child comes thing. up, moms and dads, you're getting ready for school, and the child's like, and so what you do is you go, do you have the freedom? Are, we, are you ready for school? Yeah. Now the child has to go, did I, in their own mind, did I make my bed? Do I have my homework? All right, did I feed the dog? Do I, right? And you do the same thing at home. The kid's like, hey, can I go out and play? And the mom goes, all right, did you practice your piano? Did you do the homework? Did you do, right? We go through, and then we forget something, and then go out and play, and you're like, oh, wait, you didn't do. And once again, we train our children with responsibility by going, I don't know. Can you go out and play? Can you? Do you have the freedom? Do you have the, and the child goes, oh, I didn't practice my piano. You go, oh, okay, go practice your piano. And what we're doing is we're training that child to be responsible. And they get to the age, it's amazing, right, when our kids begin to get in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, and they kind of are running their show for the most part. They get up, they take care of all the stuff, get them in the car, take them off to school, come home, they take care of the stuff, here we go. And you're, you have trained a child to be responsible. I think that, every, well, I mean, I know. I know every home is different. I know every child is different. I know we're all create, created unique and, and special in our own way. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, I don't know that that would work for my child. I don't know that that would work for the gender of my child. I don't want to step on you men. But you have a great gift of laser focus. So if I gave a house full of boys a list in their head to be kept in their head of five things that I need them to be able to tick off in their head at a time, how many of you know, like, it was a disaster? It, like, did not work. So when we were going through the parenting program, I thought, okay, this has to, I have to figure something out. I have to be creative. So, you know, we're talking about the character principle of responsibility. We're talking about this being characterized by people who, you know, encourage our kids to be responsible. We're talking about the spirit of being responsible. How do you creatively make that happen in your home? For me, I had to come up with a buzzword do, or a buzz. Sentence, do you have the freedom? And what it did for my guys is it, it, like Pastor Scott said, is it went, oh, yeah, there's like a list of, you know, 20 things that she wants me to accomplish before I can leave the house. Um, we had one little guy, and it just didn't work. He couldn't keep the list in his head. He was very laser focused. He, he's very successful. Um, and, and he's used that laser focus to get really, really far in life for himself. For him, he needed a little added something. So I created a card that said, I have the freedom when, and I listed out the six things. It wasn't 20, it was six, but to him it felt like 20. It was six things that he needed to be able to say to himself before he could leave the house. And I had them written down. They were in his room on the side of his bed. They were in his bathroom. And it gave him a coping skill, if you will, to be able to answer that question. I still didn't have to own it. I still didn't have to take those responsibilities. I still didn't have to list them off myself. I did to write the card, and then it was important for him 
the buzz sentence made him go and find that card, whichever room he wanted to find it in, and go through that list on his own. So get creative. It may not work for your home in all the different ways that we share. Um, whatever works for you. Just know the spirit or the character principle, responsibility. We cannot own the responsibility for our kids. Everything that we're doing is putting them, either going to make them successful in the future or going to take them away from that. So we have to build responsibility. Kids are great if this was responsibility of continually trying to give us the responsibility. Our job is going, no, no, that's yours. I need you to raise up to be responsible. In the same way, parents will try and remove all of the problems of their children. One of the most key parts, if you want to find out what highly successful people are, it's not IQ. It has nothing to do with their upbringing and what happened. The most successful people have a high AQ, which is adversity quotient. They are great at solving problems. The better your kids are at solving problems, the better they will be at life because life will give them problems. Count it all joy when you have problems because it builds up your faith and gets you to the place where you lack nothing. So sometimes we got to get excited when our children have problems because it is building them up. We all grow the most when we have and overcome a problem in our life. And so for many parents, they just remove it. They have a problem with the teacher, they pull them out of the classroom, maybe pull them out of the school, put them somewhere else. Well, what you're doing is if you continue to do that, then you'll raise a child who cannot keep a job, who has a trouble keeping relationships, because all they do is anytime I hit a hardship, I know that I just have to remove ourselves from that. Rather than learning to work it out, get better, get stronger, there are personalities in this world that you are not going to get along with. Anybody have any of those at the office? Yeah. Right? You've got to be able to navigate the hardest personalities, and sometimes that's a teacher. And a teacher in their life, though it is annoying even as a parent, it's annoying as a child, them learning to deal with an annoying teacher is great growth and learning that they would never get from a great teacher. You should celebrate that. You should celebrate the growth that happens in that school year with that child learning to excel even with a teacher they do not get along with. How many of you have chess on your phone? The game I, chess. Oh, yeah, all day long. How many have Sudoku on your phone? Word searches, crossword. These are all like puzzles. These are all strategy type, right? Everyone has a strategy on how to complete it, how to finish it. And we call them what? Games. So why do we get so frustrated when life presents a problem that just needs your amazing strategizing? That's good. It's a super cool perspective to, to view a problem or an obstacle as a strategic opportunity to, to use all the strategies that you've got on the inside of you. And let's start in ourselves looking at it that way and then start speaking it in our homes over our kids. This isn't, this isn't hard. You're, you were created to do hard things. This, is a, this could be a game. This could be something that could be solved. What strategies are on the inside of you? What gifts and talents and equipping is on the inside of you? And it's such a different perspective. It's such a different way of looking at an obstacle or a mountain that is in front of them. But man, help them to see it as just something that they're able to overcome on their own. Amen. You know, and sometimes, you know, I know we all think that our kids are the best at whatever sport or whatever activity they're in, and the coach doesn't put them in as much as you think they should put them in, right? What is your voice in the car? Is your voice about what a horrible coach they are, or do you honor the authority? 
Are you somebody who's teaching your child, even when they don't see the greatness in you, then I guess we have the opportunity for you to practice, be better, be honoring, talk nothing but good about the coach, and work as hard as you can. Because there are going to be times in this life when they don't get the promotion. There'll be times when they don't, they don't get the, the elevation in the company that they think they should have. It doesn't mean that we're allowed to have a bad attitude. It doesn't mean that we just walk away from the problem. It means that we give our all in every circumstance. So we teach our children in the midst, right? Those are the best lessons. The greatest lessons aren't when it's easy on a team. That's not the best lessons. The best lessons will not come from the win. The best lessons come from the loss. Sometimes I celebrate when the kids' team would lose. I'm like, praise the Lord. They are learning how to cope with some of the most important things because if you can be a great loser, then I can help you be a great winner. Come on, somebody out there. We have to, right? We get, it's funny, us parents, we, I know we live vicariously through our kids winning somehow. We think, you ever go to, I mean, we've been to 25 years of sports. And you'll get parents out there that you feel like this is for a million dollars today. This is the greatest thing ever. This child in the third grade is going to go all the way, and we're all excited to watch that. You're like, no, right? It is celebrating the losses, it is learning on the way home to help them because life is going to give them some losses. And you, sports is such a great way for your children to learn how to navigate and not stay down, but instead to rebound from the loss. How to get better from the loss because you're going to have a breakup. You're going to have maybe a layoff. You're going to have life is going to give you some times where you get a loss. And are you going to be somebody who stays down or are you going to be somebody who rebounds? Come on, somebody out there. You got to raise, right? We, we get so focused on the wrong thing that we miss trainable moments. We look for, as trainable parent parents, we look for every trainable moment that we can. And trainable moments come in all different sizes and shapes. They usually come from a discouragement. They come from a loss. They come from a setback. These are the things that we can have the greatest access to the inner parts of their hearts to help them propel into their future the things that they need to be successful. Little Peyton kept, he had, he had like, he, he liked to play with these little fighting men, like little Batman and had these little guys. And he had a guy and his head would just pop off on one of the, you know how they just stay, right? And he would bring, he's like, dad. And, like, and I go, what? And he's like, the head popped off again. And so I got to take it and I'd have to work that thing and get it on there. And it was about the third time he brings it over to me, third time in the day. And so he goes, dad, the head popped off. And I go, up. Oh, I think it's broken forever, and I just threw it in the trash can right there. There's a little trash by my, in my office there. I said, it's, I think it's broken. And he's like, that's my favorite guy. I go, he's broke. I don't know what to do with it. And so he goes, well. So he reached down in there, and he took it out, and off he went. It wasn't five minutes later. He came back, and he goes, Dad, I got the head on it. I said, there you go, son. Okay, you learned how to fix it on your own. And that is something that we want to train our children how to sometimes fix the things. Yes, I'll take care of the things that are unfixable by you, the same thing that God will. Remember, the Bible says that he'll never let you go through something that you cannot handle, right? I may be pushed on from the left and the right from every side, right? But I am not perplexed because God will remove and take care of what I can't take care of. And so we're raising up our children to be able to see that I can handle problems. I don't want kids, right, who grew up to be adults who run away from situations and circumstances. Yeah, we got a problem in our marriage. What do we do? 
We need some wisdom. We got to grow in this. We need to get some books. We got to go to a marriage center. We got to go to some conferences, right? I'm not somebody that just settles. I will not raise children who settle for mediocrity, who will settle for a marriage one day that's just, okay, let's just get by. But instead, there have to be people who push to excellence, who push to greatness, who never settle. Can I get an amen anywhere out there? And that happens in the home. That happens with training in our children not to accept mediocrity in their life and to be people who grow up, who solve problems, who don't run away from problems, who don't run away from things, but instead they give their best and they don't give up. Did we talk about cheerleading at all? I don't know if we did, like, because we talked to us, because we did, it's funny, is we did two, we did this thing on Wednesday at our church and we're doing it today. So in my mind, I'm like, I think I already talked about that, but I didn't. We didn't talk about cheerleading, did we? Not that I'm a cheerleader, but so uh, Savannah um, in her school, she decided to go for cheer. Yay. And uh, excited. Cool. Mom was a cheerleader. And so it was pretty exciting. She made the varsity team as a ninth grader. It was pretty cool. Learning all the cheer. She got to be a flyer and it was great. Uh, But sometimes in life, there are what's called, and you may never deal with it, mean girls. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Sometimes... I know you've probably never heard of this, but there can be girls who are mean. And she was dealing with, um, especially as a ninth grader, with seniors and juniors who have been together and everything, uh, with uh, people that would leave out and who were saying mean things and doing mean things. So now we're posed. So what do we do, Savvy? Do we quit cheer? Because cheer is the law. I have never had a kid that did cheer. It's the longest sport in, in the, the history of man. And it's the most grueling. I thought Pop Warner football was grueling. This was the most grueling thing I've ever done as a parent. It was fun, but it was grueling. Because she's like, hey, we got a football game. I'm like, cool. And where is it? It's three hours each way. Cool, honey. And they get to drive out there. And then they get to sit. And then there was mosquitoes and bugs all night. But we counted all joy. And we're happy. Right? So it would have been, you know, sometimes we make decisions as parents. It would have been easier of me as a parent to say, honey, let's just quit. The girls are mean. Right? This is not good. You don't need to be putting through this. Or it is the best opportunity for her to learn and to grow how to love the unlovable, how to still be kind, how to still give kind words when girls are talking about you behind your back, but be somebody to go, I don't know why she's saying that. I, I like her. She's a great person. I don't know why she's saying that. And giving her the opportunity at ninth grade to do something that many adults can't do and handle on their own also. Because she'll have times in her future up ahead where you'll be dealing with mean people, nasty people who do mean things. So do you run away and give up and quit? Or do you stand strong, learn, and grow in the midst of that? I was just going to add that there's so much that comes from everything, all of the above that you just said. Um, compassion, humility, um, you know, we can never leave, we can never lose sight of the fact that while growth happens in veiling, while growth happens in sticking it out and persevering, it also points us to the one that's bigger than us, which is the whole point of what we're talking about in, in instilling that godly character inside of our kids and points us and our kids that there's someone bigger that's on our side and that we're not traveling the journey alone. We're not facing the mountain on our own. We're not facing the obstacle by ourselves. We've got this incredible, amazing power on the inside of us. And so humility and being humble is so powerful because it reminds us it's not in and of our strength. It's in his strength. 
Amen. It's in his strength. And it Amen. really is what enables them to get back up and, and to try it again and to do it and, and soar. The word says on wings as eagles, right? Like we've got that stamina on the inside of us. Our kids have that stamina on the inside of them because of whose they are and who, who's the power that is on, on the inside of them. So I love that because also all of this leads to, um, and I don't know if it's further down, pride. Talk about, yeah. You right. can talk about it anytime you want. Well, you know, one of the things that like we learned early on, especially with little guys, is I was very, very careful about the words that I used. I was very careful about the compliments that I gave my kids. I was really careful. I never, ever, ever told them they were the best at something because I'm older and wiser. And I know very clearly just watching them do that amazing thing they do so well that someone was better. <laughs> Yes. Right? At another school. <laughs> There's someone that's going to come along and they're going to be better. And I just didn't want to raise a child up in my household, sheltered in my household, to think that you are the very best, and then go out into the world and find out that they weren't the very best. And I didn't want to hear things like in, in their interaction with their friends, well, I'm the best at that. I'm better than you. That's pride. And, and I wanted them to understand that, you know, let's approach life as a team player, mm. right? If I'm gonna allow them to take responsibility and, and to fail and to get back up and there's growth in that, well, they're gonna have to understand other people are gonna be watching that. They need to be a team player, be a good sport. Know how to, how to and that doesn't just go for losing well, that goes for how many of you know winning well? Oh, I saw so many, we've seen so many over the course of sports life, poor winners. Talk about poor winners mean and rude and, and unkind, and I never wanted my kids to, to have that. And so I always would share with them, you're one of the best at that. That is so cool. You're going to meet someone who has that same gift and that same talent, and how cool that you'll be able to like learn from them, and they'll be able to learn from you. But I really, really wanted my kids to be people that grew into adults that could recognize and celebrate somebody else's amazing gifting somebody else's amazing talent, all the while knowing that they were equally as gifted and talented. Amen? So there's so many amazing um, things to be learned in by these Bible principles that we have the opportunity. It's so exciting. I get so excited because parenting, can, again, it can be so, so late to reward. But, man, we have such an opportunity to give such an amazing gift to our kids. So many Bible principles, so many amazing things that we can be a tiny reflection of for our kids of how big and how miraculous and supernatural God is. You can do anything you yeah. want to do, whatever's up ahead. Lakin was about uh, maybe five years old at the time, and I was having, I was watching him. Holly was off somewhere, don't know where she was at, and uh, we were getting ready to go somewhere, and I went to shut off the TV, and he was standing right there, and all of a sudden the TV, they used to do this, I don't know if they still do it, they were like, tonight, live at 5, right? They have that like that little grabber. And they said, live tonight at 5 on channel 12, a woman strips for a cop. And I shut the TV off. And I'm like, all right, let's get our shoes on. As I was putting Lakin's shoes on, he goes, Dad, why would a woman strip for a cop? And I said, well, son, to get out of the ticket. I wasn't thinking. I was just like, to get out of the ticket. So I put the shoes on. And he goes, well, why wouldn't he give her a ticket? And I go, well, because she wouldn't have clothes on. And so we're walking. Walk right into that one. And he goes, he wants to see her without clothes on? And right when he said it that way, I went, oh, no, I'm not ready for this. You're only five. 
I'm ill-prepared. I can, and I don't want to do the same damage as my dad. You know, he had his talk still. I'm still messed up today. Fallopian tubes, I don't know. It's just still, I'm so confused. Right? So I didn't want to do that. I was ill-prepared. And, and I'm like, so I, I go, we'll, just, we'll talk about it when we get to the car. All right? And I'm hoping he'll forget about it. So we get out to the van. I get him in. And here we go. I'm about to back up. And he goes, Dad, Dad when do I get to see girls naked? I said, son, son. Not for, for a very long, long time. Until you're, he's like, do you like to see mom naked? I'm like, son, just stop it. I didn't want to, I, a little bit, maybe a little, I don't know, maybe. I'm just, I don't know. I go, I don't know, son. I don't, I. He's like, well, when do I? And I said, son, I, not until a long time, not until you, you, you get married, right? After you get married. And he goes, and he goes, he goes, well, okay, when do I get to get married? I said, not for a long time, son. You got you to gotta get through school. I said, you're going to go to college. You got to get a job. And then you can get married at that time. He's like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do all that stuff. That's a lot of stuff. I go, I know, but you got to do all of it. He, go, he goes, well, I'm not. He goes, get a job. Why do I need a job? I go, because you need money. He goes, I'll just use your money. And I was angry. Because I felt like I was raising a lazy pervert at this moment. So I was very angry at that. <laughs> so I said, son, you're going to get... I said, do you hear me? Son, you're going to go to college. You're going to get a job. You're going to work hard. And you're going to earn money. That's what you're going to do. And right, I'm trying to be an inspirational. And so then he goes, well, what kind of job? What would, I, what would I get a job doing? And so this was amazing. Because this was a moment, what I call, where we can speak into their hearts. Right? And so I thought I was excited about this. I go, son, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. Son, if you dream it, you can do it. Right? You, you, you could be the president. You could be a lawyer. Right? You could be a pastor. Like anything you want to do, you can be whatever you want to be, son. What do you want to be when you grow up? He goes, I want to be a cop. <laughs> okay. I have to give a disclaimer right there. You know, when, when Scott and I... <laughs> that's one of many stories. I know every one of you sitting in here tonight, you have those kind of stories. You have those crazy stories. And I remember sharing with somebody, because when Scott and I started on the parenting journey, and then we were doing all of these trainings, and we were sitting under, like, all the parenting courses and all the, the many, many weeks, and then we thought, well, let's you know, let's go ahead and teach one. They needed leaders. And so we stepped up and said, let's do this. And I'll never forget someone came to me and said, someone in my church, they said, you know, aren't you kind of concerned that you're setting your kids up to be under like really serious speculation, like kind of a microscope. You're kind of putting your kids under a microscope. For, first of all, they already were. Right. Second of all, I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. you know. And I thought about that later and I thought, oh, okay. And then I, 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 went, I had to go back and seek that person out, and I wanted to answer that question. Because it was, a, it was, you know, it was respectfully placed before me. And I said, you know, I just want to answer that question. No, I'm not concerned. Because in, in doing the parenting class, in now becoming a leader in the parenting class, I'm not saying that my kids have arrived. I'm not saying that Scott and I as parents have arrived. What I am saying is because I haven't arrived, I'm taking a parenting class to learn. Amen. I'm taking a parenting class to get the wisdom, to get the knowledge, to get the education. So, no, my kids are going to make mistakes. My kids are going to mess up. My kids are not perfect. They're human, just as he and I are. And 
so are all of you. You're gonna have those crazy stories. You're gonna have those, and they're so funny at, on the on the <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> they are. But there are some that are funny now, weren't so funny in the middle of it. But look at look at you're out here on a Sunday night. Come on, give yourself a hand clap. You are here tonight. You were here You're yesterday putting joy. on a Saturday morning. You're putting joy in your future. Yeah. You're putting forth the effort. I'm going to number, uh, this is number four. Um, this is, I would say, one of the most important things we can do as a parent. You know, you can take the best seed and you can take the best soil, right? And if you put that in the wrong environment, it will not grow. Take the best seed, the best watermelon seed, right? Take the epic soil that can grow anything. Go up to Iceland, and that will not produce. It will not grow. So you can take a all of this information, and you can do so many things right. But if your home is not the right environment, then your children will struggle into adulthood. We have to be conscious as parents to make sure that my envir environment of my home is an environment which will produce in their life. It doesn't mean, we, I think we talked a little bit about this yesterday, it doesn't mean that we and Mahali never fight. We do fight. We have our good ones, right? But our children watch us reconcile. A good fight actually is good for them to watch if we reconcile because they're going to have fights and arguments in the future. How does that look like? Do her and I hold on to our offense for days? No, of course not, because the Bible, remember, we raise our lives up to the Bible. The Bible says don't go to bed angry. So sometimes we up all night, right? we got to work that thing out, and the children get to watch. Mom and Dad, yes, we do disagree at times, but we are people that will work it out because we stay, we love, we encourage, we build up, we forgive. This is what they watch in the home. What is the atmosphere of your home? What, it, we have to be purposeful with it. We have to have, we have to say, and you could be a single mom, you could be a single dad, you could be a blended family, you could be a family, whatever that is, what's our home like? You set the mood and the atmosphere of the home. Me and Holly, 28 years ago, decided we want to have a home that our kids want to be a part of, a place that our kids don't want to run away from when they're in the teenage years, a place they want to invite their friends over to. Where our kids are, like on a Friday night, when they were teenagers, they're at our house. Their friends come to our house, right? Saturday night, praise the Lord, our kids actually fight to go to church. It is the craziest thing. We, last, every year we fly home from Boston, we always fly home Saturday night. We get home about 7, and the kids are like, okay, are we going to make it home in time to go to church? And I'm the one that goes, we'll just skip church tonight. Like it's like, right? And they're like, Dad, we want to go to church. I'm like, oh, my. And so I'm the bad voice, right? I'm like, all right, we'll drop you off at church, right? And then we got to go pick them up. Because we've raised our kids in the house of the Lord. We have an environment that praises God. We have an environment that church is something that we do. We have a happy home environment. When we come down in the morning, it is, right, it's a good attitude, right? We put out a good attitude to go to the office. Why wouldn't you give our kids the same thing, right? Sometimes parents are like grumpy at home and they get there like, hey, mom, hey, Sal. People that won't even be in your life in five years, you'll take it and give them the opportunity to have good you with a good attitude, but we won't do the same for our children. Where we put on a smile on our face and we give a good attitude and we give a smile and we give encouragement, you are setting your kids off to, to, to school. Do you set them off and pull them down or do you lift them up and encourage them? Your words, what you say, what are you playing? Holly's got praise and worship going on throughout the house, right? It's, it's, it's what we hear, right? What goes in your child will come out of your child. I want to see if I can articulate this better than I did the other night. You did great the other night. Okay. 
So I want to go back. I want I want to rewind a little bit to the concept of conflict resolution and the fact that moms and dads and and you know siblings, your kids are going to fight with each other and. Um, and it, maybe you're a single parent and you've got a sister or a mom or I, I'm just saying that like I think it's important that we train our kids to know how to resolve conflict. I think that some of you can identify when I say there's people in your offices or people at your work or people in your jobs that they've never learned the concept of conflict resolution. Maybe they're very reactionary. They've never had to like just close their mouth, turn around, pause and take 10 seconds and then come back and address the situation. They just go off whenever you know they're frustrated or whenever something doesn't go their way. Scott and I have counseled tons of uh, marriages and subsequent homes that this concept, um, this conflict resolution thing, and, and, and again, I think it's awesome if you don't fight in front of your kids. I think that's great, I do. But do you know what to do if you do fight in front of your kids? That's the bigger question. Do you know how to like make that like all good? Because I think we're living in a world where people think two words, I'm sorry, attacks their esteem and their value. There's a lot of people in our world, they just don't know how to say I'm sorry without it wrecking the who of the, who they are. It doesn't, it, it actually takes a bigger person to be able to identify, wow, I really missed the boat on that one and I need to go and tell that person I'm really sorry. A lot of us, like, there's so many people out in the world and in the church that, can you forgive me, <laughs> attacks who they are. And we need to get over it. We need to be really quick to say, ooh, I really messed that one up. I am so sorry. Can you forgive me? I, I you know, I'll be better next time or I'll try again. And one of the things that we have found in marriages that we have counseled is if there's never conflict resolution necessary, someone's doing all the giving and someone's doing all the taking. And that's a really hard counseling session 25 years in. I would like to see, say that we've got a lot of like success in helping them, but that's tough. The quicker we can get in saying, I'm so sorry. So how do your kids learn that? I'm not saying go home and have a fight so you can teach your kids a valuable <laughs> lesson. You go home you with your list. One. Yeah, I'm going to You've tonight. got that list and you're uh, like, okay, yeah, I have, tonight. I ha I have justification now yes. to share this openly with you. Um, I'm not saying that we do that. But I'm saying that when it happens, we can't beat ourselves up. We need to go into action. And you know what? I have many a time, he's going to say no, but I have many a time had to say I'm sorry to him. But I've made sure that it's been in front of my kids. Mm -hmm. I've, been, I, I've had to say I'm sorry to my kids. Yes. There's been so to. many times that I've like reacted in, in the moment and I'm like, oh, oh, wow. Okay, I just now took their wrong and made it my wrong and now I'm the one that has to apologize. Mm -hmm. But there's so much power in being able to do that. There's so much power in saying, you know, mom and dad, we're human. And we're gonna mess up. We're gonna fail sometimes. Just like I encourage you to get up and get going again, I'm going to do the same thing right now. And my first get up is, I am really sorry. I will be better. Actually, no, I am better. I know better. So I will be better. Amen. So there's so much power in that. Instead of sweeping something under the rug, so many families, they don't ever come, they'll, they'll have a blow up. 
I have a friend and she's like, I just didn't learn it in childhood. Made for a very tough friendship. I was like, you've never had to say or own anything, this concept of responsibility. And so when we really got to a place where we could be really open, she's like, you know, it's been the greatest tool I've learned out of the friendship because I was never, ever, my family didn't do this. I was baffled by that. Your family never apologized? <laughs> what? What world do you live in? Because that wasn't mine. So let's not sweep stuff under the rug. Let's be bold and go, wow, that really stunk. Let's try never to do that thing again, whether it's with spouse, children, extended family, or whoever. Let's just be the first person that can step up, even when you're not wrong. It feels really powerful to take the high road. What you are teaching your children, one of the most important, this is a, it's such an important thing, self-evaluation. The ability to look at every circumstance and figure out what you could have done differently. Every argument you've had, everything you've done. What could I have, what is my role in that? There, we live in a generation and a time where people don't evaluate themselves. Everything is everybody else's fault. I can't change everybody else. There's only one person I can change is me. How do I change me? Do we make our children evaluate their actions with each other? Okay, I get it, but how could you have handled it and how could you have handled this differently? And continue to speak that you are best friends and I need my kids to be able to resolve their difficulties when they're six and seven because I refuse to have children that grow up and hate each other. That is not an option for the Anderson family. Right. We are family, we are best friends, we do life together. Friends will come and go, but Andersons are here to stay. So we have to make sure that we teach our children to be able to evaluate their actions in every circumstance, be able to say, okay, I could have been better at that. That comes from training. That comes from watching mom and dad do it. That comes from us allowing them and making sure that they do it and everything that's going on. Yeah, I get it. Your brother did this. But what did you do to get him to do this? Right? What, what was your responsibility? I'll, don't you worry about dealing with it. I'll deal with it. But what could you have handled differently? Helping them grow in the atmosphere and the environment of our homes. What do we want? We want a happy environment for the most part. I get it. I go, I, they'll get crazy dad once in a while, right? But I'm quick to say, sorry, guys, I'm not, I went a little crazy. Woo, and dad's back. And because dad most of the time is uncrazy dad, right? They're like, we get it, dad, that's fine. Because I'm characterized by being loving, caring, bringing up. I'm happy when I see my kids. It's not like, hey, right? Your kids will be a reflection of you. I'm like, hey, how was your day? Like a little inflection in your voice. A little bit like you're excited to see them. A fake way that you do with, you know, Bob that walks down the hall that you can't stand. You're like, hey, Bob, right? Why can't we go, hey, Bob, to our own children and make them feel like we are excited that they are home, that they're a part of our world. We are creating an environment that they want to be a part of. Important things that we do. If we want to have what we have today, relationship is important, then we have to create relationship opportunities that become who your family is, which means we have Mi Amigo Sunday, whatever day you want to do it. Do a family night, right? It's a night that the kids, you do everything. It's very rare. We're here today, but it's very rare that we miss Mi Amigo Sunday. Very rare. Our family knows that 50 weeks out of the year, we're going to be together, and it's something that nothing gets in the way of. And so you have the set time once a week we do that. You have dinners. Try to have three dinners a week together. We sit down, phones are off, and we talk and we communicate. If you can have more, have more, right? If you can have more. Make sure that you make time for vacations. Make sure. you got 18 years, and then it's gone. And if you didn't build the habit up, then 
At 18 years, you're done, though. There's no, they're not going to do vacations with you anymore. Me and Holly love it, the fact that all of my kids make time to go do on vacation with us, right? It's a, uh, there's no greater joy. I got my grandkids. I got all my kids around us, right, during vacations. What did we do? From the time they were zero, vacations were important. We made it fun and we made it enjoyable. Early days, didn't have a lot of money. One week, right? We did some pretty crazy, dead, scary hotels. That's fine. We have stories. I make stories <laughs> as we go, right? I slept with a gun underneath the pillow, right? We, and we're like, hey. <laughs> They were staying. You just make right. Put some money away every month. How I did it. This is how I did. It. I'm not saying this is financially, but this is how I did it in my mind. Um, whatever my tax return was is what I would use for my vacation. That was I, un, so to me. It was just took the money, and there we go. Uh, you know, I get the money back in, in like April. We're going on vacation in June. Sat there in the bank, and so I just always, whatever that was, what's neat is as your income grows, so does your vacation money for me grew. And so that's what we would do is we made sure every year we had a vacation. Church I talked about, dinner every week. Uh, kid, Did we talk about kid time? With, did I do this? On, I'm doing, well, okay, we did. I thought I talked about this, but I talked about it on Wednesday. So I'll talk about it again. So we have uh, a date time with each of our children. We did do that. I remember doing talking about date time. I did. I did date time. All right. Let's talk about discipline uh, for the next 20 years. Woo! Everybody usually gets excited. Yes! Bring it! And I know we got some good questions on discipline out there. I want to start off with saying this. Discipline done right is the most valuable tool that we have as parents. Discipline done wrong can do far more damage. Don't go home and try some sort of new discipline or anything like that. Yeah. So we teach discipline at the very end of the entire series. It's the last thing you get. And I say you can't multiply until you learn to add and subtract. You have to learn to count. There's a lot of things because when you go and you do discipline wrong and you haven't built a strong foundation with it, then you do more damage than doing no discipline whatsoever. You exasperate your children. Because, and, and so we're going to give you tonight the, uh, how many ways? Eight ways. Eight ways that we exasperate. The Bible says don't exasperate your children. That means to frustrate your children. But you have to remember the main goal of discipline. The goal of discipline is to simply change direction, whatever that means. You're going in the wrong direction. I have to find my child's kryptonite which the way we teach it is so good because every child is different. What works for one child doesn't work for another child. I see people trying to do it for the same thing, right? They, they, they got a 10-year-old boy, and they're like, yeah, you know, I, I took away their cell phone. And the boy's like, whatever, right? It's not the same as taking your daughter's cell phone away, maybe, would be a different punishment, right? And so you have to make sure that we find our child's kryptonite. Like I said, in the series, we give you a flow chart because you have to know the difference between childishness and foolishness. You have to make sure that you don't treat a childishness action as a foolish one because you will greatly exasperate your child. But if you treat foolishness like childishness, you'll raise a fool. And our job, the Bible says, is for us to drive the rebellion out of their hearts. Otherwise, you'll have a rebellious child, right? You'll raise up a fool. And so our job as parents is to navigate this thing by life and be able to navigate in such a way that we're constantly looking at how to change their direction. I know how you can have success. 
following biblical principles, having biblical characteristics. My job is, is to instill biblical character into your heart so it runs your life. That's what it is. It's train a child in the way they should go. They will not depart from it. It's simply habits. Your habits run your life. Now, we have good habits and bad habits. The devil has found a way to pervert everything. So our bad habits, right, our subconscious is making decisions all throughout the day. Sometimes we respond and, and lash out. We didn't even mean to. It just came out of us. Why is it? Because it was something that was down deep in you just came out. So what's inside of your children is a moral warehouse. You are responsible to fill that moral warehouse up. Every one of us throughout the day, in our warehouse, we make decisions. I call it our little guy. Our little guy goes down. We have something happen, come up. Maybe you find a wallet here in the church, right? You find a wallet, and the little guy goes down. And it's funny that two Christians in the same church, hearing the same word, their little guy will go to the moral warehouse and have two different responses of what to do. Right? One will go down there and go, oh, my God, God bless us with money. Praise the Lord. That is a gift from God. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that. Right? And they now have found a blessing. And they don't feel anything bad about that. But somebody else, they're more where else will go down and go, hey, that's somebody else's money. I know there's not a, 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 an ID in that, but that, that's somebody worked hard for that. I would want, if somebody found mine, to turn it in. So I'm going to take this, and I'm going to turn it in. Do you see how two Christians... Same circumstance, different decisions. Well, the boss, you know, is, is saying this and asking me to do something, and I don't, I don't agree with it, right? And one little guy comes in, he's like, I ain't doing that. No, you're not going to give me. Another one goes down and goes, you know what? We give our best. We honor our boss. And if, it, if it's going to help out the boss, then you know what? I'm going to give my best to whatever's in front of me. Two same Christians, different response. One is putting joy in their future. One is putting pain. Your children's moral warehouse is your job. Our job is to fill that up with biblical principles so that throughout the day, the child's little guy goes down there and it's navigating in such a way. Now, when they don't follow our moral warehouse, then there's something called guilt, right? They begin to feel guilty. And they're right. Even the guy who the Christian, right, who believes that turning it in is good, he's like, I'm going to keep this thing. And he walks away. And what happens? See, that guilt done right begins to work on him, work on him. He's like, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to turn it in. You're right? Right? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but guilt is a powerful force in our children to be able to get them to navigate to follow the moral warehouse that we put inside of them. This is why with the moral warehouse, one of the most important things you can do for your child is give your child the whys, why you do something, right? Because if you just say, don't run, right, what that child goes is goes, okay, I won't run, right, here, wherever you're at. But if you were able to put the why you don't run in there, then I've covered an infinite amount of problems that come up. If I say, hey, we don't run on the inside here because there's people. And if you, if you, you may knock over an elderly person, right, it's annoying to have somebody run. We run on the outside. We don't run when we're inside somewhere. So now they're at your house and their little moral warehouse goes, well, I can't run in here. They're at the mall. They go, we can't run in here, right? Their moral warehouse has been filled up with an infinite. So many times parents just say, don't, don't. And what happens even when we as adults are told don't? If I said, hey, nobody touch that back wall on the way out, do you hear me? No, I don't want anyone to touch that back wall. You know there's a group of us, including myself, on the way out goes, you ain't going to tell me what to do. I'll touch a wall if I want to touch a wall. Tell me why I'm not going to touch a wall. Who that little guy thinks he is going to boss me around? What you didn't know is it was painted just recently as wet paint. But if I said, hey, y'all, don't touch that back wall. We just painted it. You're going to paint on your clothes and your hands. 
Most of you, there's probably a two of you here that would still touch it, but most of you <laughs> will go, I'm not going to. See, the power of the why. When we give our children the why of why you don't do certain things, we are filling our child's infinite warehouse with so much more than just simply living a day that says, don't, stop, quit it, knock it off. Why are you doing that, right? Hey, we, as the Andersons, when we get done with food, right, you're training your children. When we get done at McDonald's or wherever we're at, we clean up the table. Why are we going to do that? Because that's what the Andersons do. We respect there's people that have to clean up. We don't leave a mess for somebody else. That's not the nice thing to do. That's not kind. If you were the one that were having to clean up, you wouldn't like that. Like, okay. So what are we doing? We're, 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 we're tackling so many situations in the future where they begin to have empathy for other people. I don't just take trash and throw it on the ground because somebody's got to pick it up. My little moral warehouse guy goes to work in every circumstance because I have filled the warehouse up as they were children with ways that's going to navigate their lives. Amen? Do you address the when, when the why? Okay, yeah, so... I, 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 the why is not even in there. I just, somebody must have needed it because I, I just, Holy Spirit took me down that. I don't know. Okay, well, Holy Spirit took me down this one too. I like okay. that. Get it. Well, if we're going to explain the why. So, but why, but answering the why is going to be subject as you get started to making sure they obey you first time. Because so often we get the why in a way... Uh, let, let me say this. The why should not be given to someone asking the why and... Okay. Obedience should never be contingent on whether or not they think your why is good enough. That's good. 100%. Right? So... It, and, and we all have that. We've all... I mean, I think every one of my kids, why? Why? You know, they got to <laughs> add the... they got to add the way they say it. Why? Why? And you, you just know. And in that moment, it, it, for me, yeah. I got really good at it. It's like I got five. Got really good. I was like, because I said so. Yes. <laughs> I answered right back. 100%. Because I said so. Because <laughs> no, I'm in charge. No. <laughs> no. That's right. But information is power. You and don't so, get a rebellious why. Right. Um, so I, I was a big why giver. I like right. that. I like my kids to be informed. I don't want them walking out and being ignorant, not knowing what to do in certain situations. But it certainly is never going to be contingent on whether or not you think my why is good enough. Right. And that is when it just goes to the default because I'm the dad, because I'm the mom, or because I said so. <laughs> so just make sure that they're going to obey either way, but then always give the why. These are the things that um, exasperate a child. Inconsistent discipline. Do you have more? No, I want you to have more. I wanted to ask you, can you give an example of foolishness versus childishness? And you've done yeah, that I before, can. but you didn't Yeah, I w I w Yeah, because I wasn't giving them mm -hmm. yeah, the last chapter. But I will, let me give you this. I will give you that. It's just just a, in the it's examples important you that you know. Now, I'm going to give you two things. I'm glad you took me down this. Number one, don't go home. And, and, and we say this in Train Up a Parent. We're like, don't go home and change all your discipline tonight. All right, tonight, it's first time obedience, and you're going to get it, and everything's going to be, and you got a 12-year-old that's like, oh, my God, and things are flying, and they're like, oh, right, why? Environment, environment, right? It gets crazy. Well, you can't do that. That's why in Train Up a Parent, every week we say, hey, we give you, your kids have, right, so as parents, let's say you have a 7-year-old, and you put some bad habits in them by the time they're 7. That is unfair for you to come home and go, all your bad habits stop tonight. You got to give that child time to change. So what we say in the 10 weeks of train up a parent, you go home and go, hey, you know that right there? Yeah, in about four or five weeks, things are going to get crazy. So we're working on that. 
So when I call you, right, let's practice real quick. When I call you, you're going to come and say, yes, mom. Right, let's do it. Ready? Come here. And they come and go, yes, mom. It's a fun little game. Okay. So that's what, it's going to end up being that way. And then you remind them when they don't do it. You call them. You're like, hey, oh, remember I called you. In a few weeks, things are going to get crazy for you. So I'm just letting you know. Right? I'm just reminding you. Oh, you see that little tantrum? Yeah, things are good. Yeah, that's not going to work in about a month from now. And you're allowing your children to change the moral warehouse and get prepared for what's up ahead. That's right. Right? And the same thing goes for discipline. And I will say this because we are, and we believe in, in spanking. Now, spanking done right is when they're young, you have some. And then when they get old, you have next to none, if any. I mean, Peyton and, and Savvy never got, I don't believe Savvy's ever gotten a spanking. Maybe she was two, a little boop. Like, it's, it's not a full, it's just a little boop when she's two or three or something. It's a little boop, right? Never got one, right? I don't know if the older kids are like, hey, you don't want one. And they talk to them when they were young because they are absolutely perfect. I don't know what to do with how good they are. Like, I am just blown away to go, hey, hey, Pey Peyton, can you real quickly go take the trash cans out? He's like, on it, Dad, got it. You're like, I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and I even get marriage tips. Like, I watch Peyton navigate mom, even when he makes a mistake. And I go, I've been telling my brother, I go, I watch him because he knows how to do it better than I do. Right? Because mom's like, I, you were supposed to. And he's like, Mama, I am so sorry. You're all right. You're right. I'm sorry. I I'll be better at that. All right? And then she's like, okay. And off we go. And I go, Wow. Wow, you're older, you're older, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just taking, I'm like, that was so good, I'm watching him. So bad. No, Peyton, you know Peyton is, is, know, is extremely amazing, right. like, and savvy. So what you find is, is that if you deal with and you discipline young, then there's not much you have to do at all. And spanking is kind of like that last, because I just want to, if, what do I have to do to change your direction? Right? Some, we, had, we had some parents and trained up a parent who their daughter was hanging out with the wrong friends and they couldn't figure out what to do. And she loved her clothes. She was a 14-year-old girl that just loved her outfits and everything. So she came home. They're like, hey, we went to Kmart today and we got you a whole new outfit. All things. And here's your new stuff. We took your clothes away. So now when you're good in good grades and you're hanging out with friends, then you're going to get cool clothes again. But for now, these are your clothes. How many people know that she changed friends and got started getting good grades the next day? Once again, more powerful than a spanking. Just change. I don't care what you do. You have to find your child's kryptonite because you are about to destroy your life, and I love you too much to allow you to do that, especially in the teenage years. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes to change their direction because I will not. And they, so much so, as I say this, that, yeah, you may hate me now, but when you're in your 30s, you are going to love me and respect the things that I laid down the life that I have for you. I loved you so much that I laid down the love you have because I'm not going to be what you call a friendship parent. I'm going to be a parent that will not allow you to destroy your life. That's what you have to be willing to do because I have to do whatever that means to change their direction. Well, my daughter, you know, she's 60. I had parents that go, well, she just sneaks out. I go, my daughter would. What do you mean your daughter wouldn't? Because I would handcuff her to me at night if I had to. I'm the guy that will not lose. I won't lose. Whatever that means, I will not lose. You don't sneak out. I'll go to school with you. I'll sit in class with you, right? I will go to, I'll walk all day long with you. To, hey, I'll take off from work, and we're going to do school together, baby. Today's going to be a great day. Your friends are here. How many people know that she would change her direction right away? The first day, Dad was walking around, and I was doing the Jason thing. I had my hand on the sideways. I'm all cool and hip. You gotta be willing to do whatever it takes. 
You don't you don't share that story anymore because that is what Dr. Tom threatened Scott with. He did do that. Now that's why I get that. I was going to share, mm-hmm. it, but you're right. So I was like skipping school and not going, mm-hmm. and so my dad just said to me, he said, "All right, here's here's what we're going to do." He goes, "You miss class again, and I get a call again." I'm going to take off from work, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to be your best friend. We're going to go to school together. We're going to go to lunch together. And here's the thing. I knew he would do it. I didn't miss school no more because I didn't want my daddy down at the school as a sophomore at high school. So, that yes, that's where I got that from. And that's he was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that my direction changed. Did you? Well, oh, go ahead. I have something, but I still want you to give an example of childhood. I'm going there. An example of foolishness. I was just about to. You want me to okay. do it first, or you're going to go? No, I'm going to say something really fast because um, while you were talking about dis- discipline, and to me, you know, I just hear in my mind when I think of discipline, I think about, I think discipling. It's about discipling. And, you know, I think one of the greatest things. And, and I don't know if it's in this or if it yeah, it's in the book and it's in the it's, curriculum. Yeah, we, we don't have time. It's literally it's three weeks. Ho- we, we talk about discipline for three no, weeks. No, but that's not where I'm headed. Where I'm headed is, you know, we, we say the word relationship. And as you were talking just now, I thought, you know, this the cute story with Peyton and, and some of the funny stuff that we've shared. It's like we wanted our kids as hearts. Mm-hmm. And we wanted our kids to want to be valuable in our hearts. Right, like kids want they want to be they want to be accepted and loved and and deeply considered by mom and dad, and that was a huge thing for for me is I wanted my kids to know that through the ups and the downs that it was unconditional that I want their heart. God wants our heart. Yes, that's the that's what Father God wants. He wants our heart, and so I wanted that. I want my kids' heart. I want them to want to be their best because mom and dad love them so much and and have made this amazing parenting investment into them. I've laid my life down. We've sacrificed for them. And I want their heart. And I want them to know they have mine. And so a lot of our stuff comes out of that. Like a lot of our interactions, a lot of our talking, a lot of our, you know, encouraging them and and communicating and being open to have the mushy conversations and even though the boys are like okay but they walk away and I know because I'm married to a man I know what those words say to them when I give them that empowerment and those words and just let them know I just think you're the coolest person in the world I think you're so amazing and and we use this term in our home and I don't know how it got started maybe this is how it got started but I'll say you are the best Peyton in my world. You're the best Lakin in my world. And then they started saying, best mom in the world to them. I am the best mom to them. There's no other mom to them. Best mom in the world. And it's it just that reiteration of, I want their heart. And so, so much of the discipline stuff, when, it come, when it's threaded through, I want you to be everything God wants you to be. You matter massive. That's a heart issue. That's a heart knowing. And for us, that's really what we dealt with. And so when it came to discipline or discipling, it really came out of that. What are we called to do? We're called to disciple. We're called to discipline in love. And that's where that, that's where that came from. So just know that, like, when you get to the last chapter, because it's all about discipline. Last three chapters. Yeah, that too. Um, 
the heart. Amen. The heart. But, and I think that now I have my kids' heart, and I can have some really frustrating conversations, and, and they might be frustrated in the moment. They may be really irritated with me. I might be asking over and above. But I know that I know that I know that they walk away, and we both kind of take our pause and come back and go, okay, let's revisit what we were talking about. Right? Because it's a heart issue. It is. And that's what makes us, uh, our program so good is that it's not legalistic. We don't push values on our children. We instill it in their heart and allow those to operate in their lives. And that's the important things. It's not about the rules. Even Jesus said it's not about the, he says, we're having to serve the rules. He goes, the rules are to serve us. That's right. The rules are there just to make life better. You know, it's interesting to be able to, in your 28-year-old, and go, hey, son, I need you to look at this part of your life and have them go, okay, and look at it and change it. That's neat to be able to do it even at that age that I still have their heart because it's been 28 years of them knowing that I have their best interest. Everything that I'm doing is trying to give them a better life. Every bit of discipline wasn't because I was trying to be mean, but instead I was trying to navigate them to the best things that life has to offer. Childishness and foolishness. A child, they're playing ball outside and they hit the ball into the window. That's child it was an accident. That's exactly what it was, childishness. But 10 minutes earlier, I had gone out and said, hey guys, you're playing baseball too close to the house. I need you to go over to the park. They kept playing baseball there and hit the ball through the window. That's foolishness. See the difference? Like, it was rebellious. I told you what to do, and you didn't do it, right? You ran through the house with your friends. You're playing tag, right? And you knocked over the vase. You got carried up in the moment. You know you're not supposed to run the house, but I get it. Your cousins were over. You got all fired up. It was foolishness. Doesn't mean that we don't treat it in a way to navigate that. Right? But it, that was childishness. But maybe I just said, hey guys, we don't run in the house five minutes ago, and now you're running. Well, there's foolishness. And so we have to be able to navigate and make sure that we know the difference so that we can deal with them both. You come home and you're like, hey kids, let's go get ice cream. And they run upstairs and you go get ice cream, right? And you come home and they left the TV on. They know not to do that. They left the video games all out. They left a mess. I get that. But that wasn't rebellious. They didn't go, oh, Dad, you know, there you go. I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to do No, they got excited in the moment. They came up, and we went out to ice cream. And they know that they're not supposed to, but I get it. It was an accident. We all make mistakes like that, yes. right? It's different than now I've told them three days in a row, clean up, and I come down and say, let's go, and they still forgot. Well, now we've navigated into rebellious. Rebellious can be that now you're just not taking the time to remember something that I've asked you to do. It's three days in a row now. I've given you plenty of opportunity chances, and now you're not taking the time to think and do what you need to do. And so we have to learn as parents how to navigate the difference between childishness and foolishness, and that's what the flow chart is for. But here are the ways. We'll see how many we get these to exasperate your children. Number one, we give them inconsistent discipline. It's inconsistent. That's why we have the flow chart, right? Some days, you know, I do this, and mom goes off, and other days it doesn't matter, right? Little Jimmy breaks a vase, and he gets a spanking, right? And Johnny hits his brother with a bat, and it was 10 minutes of room time, time out. And nothing makes sense in the house. It's very inconsistent. Your children should know. My kids never guessed when they did something. It wasn't like, I wonder what's going to happen. They, they could really in their minds go, I know what's going to happen, <laughs> right? I, I know, right? I know what's going to happen. They have to have a consistency in discipline. They have to know what to expect and what is expected out of them. Number two, we lower the standards. 
The standard's lower, right? Some days it's here. Some days you can talk back to mom. Some days you can't, right? Some days, right, you can, you, you can run and do things, and other days mom goes off and goes nuts or dad goes nuts, right? It's a, it's an, we would hate a world like that where you came to work, and you're like there at 9. The boss is like, hey, we don't start till 10. You're like, okay. The next day you come in at 10, he's like, hey, where you been? We start at 8. You're like, I don't know what to do with this. Why is this so inconsistent? Nobody's talking to me. Yet many homes... It's very inconsistent. It depends on the mood of the parents. Mom or dad will go off on something small. They, they spilled the milk, and it's like, whoa, and you thought that the house burned down in a moment. And there's another time, right, that they just basically slammed the door, and all you throw in a big fit, and it was not a big deal. There was no consistency. Your children, once again, need to know, right, we have a standard, a biblical standard, and we do not lower the standard to the child. The child is always raised to the standard. Number three, threading and repeating. Very, right? Threading and repeating. You know, we, we talked about that yesterday when you're counting. All right, come here. Or you're like, hey, you hear me? No, I need you to clean up. And you come back, you're like, I said to clean up. Do you hear me? I'm not going to say it again. You come back, okay, I'm not going to say it one more time. I am done. I have said to clean up three times now, right? You should, one, don't allow a home to be annoying. I'm annoyed in that thing right there. I would, not want to I would not want a parent in that home. I'd love to be able to go, hey, guys, um, I need you to clean that up, and then walk away and know that they are going to clean that up. I love that. I love not having to threat, repeat. I, I, I don't want to live. That, to me, if something annoys me, I fix it. That's the way I am. I don't like to be annoyed. I like to be able to ask my kids, come here, and they come here. I love that. Right? I don't want to say it seven times. I don't want to say stop three times, four times, five times. I just want to be able to go, hey, hey guys, let's not do that. Hey, let's turn our games down. You're, it's, why do we have our games up? No, turn your games down. It's loud. That's annoying to everybody else. Nobody wants to hear your game. And walk away and know that they turn their games down. I gave, see how I put the why in there? I put a lot of stuff in that real quick, right? Why we don't have our games up annoying everybody else in the house. Um, this can also exasperate when you threaten and repeat because a threat is just that. It's the it's you know it's a threat that I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. If there's no follow through to it, then it 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 means nothing. And so be careful because sometimes and you know it's easy as moms we get busy and we'll just throw it out there and we're like hey if you do it again and then they do it again and we're like I'm I'm serious if you do it again. And, you know, on a deeper level, there's trust issues there. So, like, you know, it's important that we just follow through. If you don't know what's going to happen in that moment, if you're busy and, and something's annoying you and, and you're just like, oh, you just need them to stop, but you don't know what will happen if they don't stop, just say stop. <laughs> because when we, you know, when we threaten with a consequence and then we don't follow through with the consequence because we don't have the time to follow through with the consequence, all it does is make our word nothing. Uh -huh. And so, you know, it's super important, especially with little guys. Obviously, the older ones, they know we're busy. And that's probably why they're doing what they're doing in that moment anyway. They know you're busy. And then they know that what you're saying isn't going to happen. And so they're like, oh. Girl. And so with little guys, it's really important. I tried really hard to just stop. I mean, there were full-on dinners that did not get finished because I just turned the stove off, walked over, took a little person's hand. We walked away, and I, and I got down on their level and said, if you don't knock it off things are going to look really bad for you. <laughs> and, you know, then you go back and the food is burnt or whatever, you know, overcooked. But, um, well, that's why. 
Yeah. I didn't know why. No, really, I'm just a bad cook. I always wondered why. No, that's not I didn't know you were parenting. I thought thought you were a bad cook. I guess you were a great cook. Yeah, but see, I was actually doing what I do well. I don't like the kitchen. (laughs) You're a great... It's out. You're a great parent. I don't like the cook. (laughs) I don't. I clean up really well. Apparently, I label pantry stuff really well. Oh, my gosh. I should bring the video. I should have the video. No, the video is epic. Our pantry... (laughs) So bad. It is crazy cool. It is... Everything's in a basket. Right? It, and it's all labeled. It all has labels. It in is it. labeled. Condiments. It is. So that people soups, know where to put stuff. <laughs> Scott's. I have my own basket. Everything has a home. It's kind of cool. I got a Scott's basket. Put it basket. in its home. And Scott's basket is the only messy basket because it's just got a pile of stuff. And I tell you, that's yeah. my. I can do whatever I want with my yes. basket. And that is that was a great compromise. He, he makes it sound like we don't compromise. We compromise. We compromise. I, he has a basket, and you're right. And the compromise is I have to be okay with it. It looks insane. But if like, it doesn't like, fit in, in the basket, basket, I have to throw it away. Now we're doing marriage counseling. We're going to yeah, need marriage together, counseling. Yeah, we're doing that together. Um, Threatening and repeating. Yeah, so, so establish trust early on. Like, I mean, if you follow through, you know, uh, this is a great one with babies in a nursery or babies in, in child care that don't want to go, um, you know, I made sure that I always said, mommy will be back. And when I came back, because I would leave a couple of them crying. Like, I mean, I did. I was like, okay, we're not having separation anxiety here. I'm going to go. You're going to have so much fun five seconds after I leave. But when I come back, I'm going to make sure that I say to you, see, I came back. That's so good. I told you. And so what ends up happening is you're establishing trust on a very, very minor basic level. And so the same is true with threatening and repeating. Follow through. And you, Follow you, through. You just threw something really good in there for you new parents because what we see parents do so much is, and I get that, there's a period when you have a newborn. You carry the newborn. You don't throw the, you know, the two-week, three-year-old child in the yeah. nursery. But there comes a point at three months where now parents are like, well, they cry. Good. That's fine. That's great because they have to learn. Right? I believe in you. I'm going to go to church because I need an hour of worshiping God. Right? And then you're going, to have, you're going to cry the first time. I get it. You're going to cry. But you're going to learn to overcome that. And you're going to learn that mom came back or dad came back because it's what's best for you. I cannot remove that from you and carry around at four months, six months, nine months, a year, 18 months. And I, they still want, you know, they're three years old, still can't go into the room. Well, that's not healthy for the child. Or, so, or definitely not for mom. It's not healthy for you. So making sure that, once again, we don't remove the pain that's good for their future. Number four is bribe. Your children are not Shamu. We don't bribe our children to, hey, if you're good at the store, I'll get you some candy. That's a bribe, right? So what happens when they get out into the real world? Well, now, if I'm going to be good, then what do I get? That's not the heart that we want. I do good because it's the right thing to do. I get it. God rewards me, but I don't have to be bribed in life because then now I don't have, I'm not going to be a good husband unless I blah, blah, unless I get this and I'm a good wife unless I get, and so everything in life is an exchange rate. Right. That's not a great life. You're good because that's what we do. We go to the store and we're well behaved. I'm not going to give you, now I may at the end of it as reward. a surprise and treat, give, there's a difference between a reward and a bribe. Yeah. Right? A reward is at the end, you're like, hey guys, I'm so proud of you. Pick something out. Now, remember, if you do it every time, then it became a bribe. Because yep. they just know, because kids are smart, they just know, right? And then the first time you say, hey, we're not getting some, and they throw a fit, then you realize we got to go a period of time where we don't get any candy for a while because you have to be okay with my no before I ever give you a yes. That's an extra bonus there. You don't get a yes in my home until I can give you a no. 
If I can give you a no and you're okay with it, I've had it before where the kids, they got into the habit, it was summer, now we got school, and they're like, hey, can we have a movie? And I'm like, no, and it was an ordeal. And then I said to the kids, you'll never get another movie until I can tell you no and you're happy about it. And then they're like, all right, ask me if I want a movie. I'm like, do you want a movie? They're like, no, I'm good. I'm like, no, it didn't count. We're going to do it for a few nights, right? And the next night, can I have a movie? No, you may not. Okay. And then the next night, and once I feel comfortable that you can handle a no, and it's a time on a weekend, on a Friday night, I'm like, you may have a movie. But you will never get a movie from me, right? You'll never get it if I can't give you a no. I have to have the freedom to say no, and you have to have the ability to have a good attitude because life is going to give you some no's. And I'm training you as a child so when you become an adult, you can handle with a good attitude the no's that are going to hit you in life. Can I get an amen and a lulu anywhere out there? All right, that's a bribe. Five and six go together. Negotiate and appeal. These are two, they go hand in hand. That we don't want, it's very exasperating for you and for the child to be in negotiations. If you have a toddler, you feel like you can be a negotiator all the time. You're like, all right, time for bed. All right, I'm going to bring my toys to bed. No, 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 we're not taking toys to bed. Well, can I take three toys to bed? No, no, no three toys. No, no toys. Can I take two toys? No, I, I said no. Can I take one toy? Right, fine, you can have one, right? And you spend your whole day, right? All right, you got to finish all your milk. Can I drink half of my milk? No, you got to drink all of your milk. Can I drink three quarters of it, right? And you're like, okay, you're learning math. That's pretty good. No, you can't drink, no, right? And so you find your whole day negotiating with the child. I don't negotiate because it's annoying. I remove everything that's annoying out of parenting. I don't like to negotiate. I don't like to, so I have to, one, it makes me mindful also when they say, hey, can I take, because they have to have the freedom, I'm like, time for bed, time for a nap, and they have the freedom to be able to ask a question, I'm okay with that, go, can I take some, some, some of my fighting men to bed with me? Now, I have to be ready for, if I don't want to negotiate, then I have to make sure that my answer is what my answer is going to be, because if I'm planning on negotiating, so I may say that, once again, if I feel the freedom to say no toys, I'm okay, but I may say, you may take two to bed. Right? And if they say, well, can I take three? I go, oh, now we have no, now we have one. Do you want to ask again? Because I don't negotiate. And they learn very fast that dad does not negotiate with you. If I said two, I mean two. I'm not going to argue with three. Now, in this, the child has to have a freedom. One, I said to ask, as long as they, you feel comfortable that they can handle a no. You can ask me. I get that. As long as you can handle my no, I'm okay with that. There is what's called the appeal process where a child has the freedom to, otherwise it's legalistic. We don't want to have a home where I say, hey, I need you to do the dishes. And they're like, ah, no, I said it. You do it first time. Scott, the little guy told me that that's what we do. You do it on the first time. We don't want to be a legalistic authoritarian home. Your child has to have the freedom to appeal to you right in a right heart. It's all about the heart. It means that it's respectful. I say, hey, Peyton, I need you to take out the trash. And Peyton has the freedom to say, hey, Dad, I'm watching a TV show. Can I finish it up and then take out the trash? That's an appeal. I didn't, I didn't realize it. He's invested in it. He's watching it. And now I have the freedom as a parent, right? Most of the time I will go, yeah, yeah, that's fine. After the TV show, yeah, yeah, you may do that, right? And walk away and know that they're going to take care of it, right? But there are times that I have the freedom. I'm like, and I'll apologize. I go, son, I am so sorry. We have guests coming. They're going to be here in like 10 minutes. I really need you to do that for me, please, if you could do that. And they go, yeah, Dad, I'm on that. And off they go. So this is the proper appeal process because I need sometimes the information. I come in. I say, hey, I need you to go sweep the garage, right? In an authoritarian house, they go, okay, I have to do what Dad says. Off I go, 
right? It's legalistic, not realizing that mom told them to go down here and pick up some laundry. So now it's a conundrum. They don't know who do I follow. So they have the freedom to appeal to me and go, hey, mom asked me to pick up the laundry. You want me to sweep. Which one would you like me to do? And I'm like, okay, well, take care of I'll talk to mom, all right? I need you to do this. Let me go talk to mom and make sure it's all right. For now, go sweep the garage, and I'll figure this out, right? And so I'm, I got more info. I didn't have all the information they needed because if it was legalistic, I go, did you hear me? I told you to sweep the garage. Go do what I ask. And then the mom goes, what are you doing? You're supposed to be cleaning up the laundry. And it becomes exasperating to the child. They have to have a way to give it, but it does mean that it's respectful. I don't say, hey, I need you to take out the, the garbage. And they go, I'm watching a show, Dad. Okay, I'll do it when I'm done. Things get crazy in the Anderson house that that ever happened. I've never had that happen, but I can tell you this much. That wouldn't happen in my house, right? Why is that? Because I don't deal good with that disrespect, with that type of voice, the way that you're saying. So disrespect will always cancel everything out. If you say things in a respectful manner, because it's the same thing, one day when they have a boss, and the boss says, I need you to do this, they're like, why do I have to do that? I have to do everything. No, see, once again, you're sabotaging your future. How you are trained as a child is going to be your moral warehouse when you become an adult. So they have to be able to negotiate with you, appeal with you. And um, I love this one. This one, I think, is the big ones that parents miss. Number seven on this one is giving them time to prepare or get ready. Once again, it helps us from not being legalistic. I know if... Let's say I'm out in the garage and I'm doing something, fiddling or something, and if Holly comes out and she's like, hey, time for dinner right now. And I'm like, oh, hold on. She's like, no, we're going to eat right now. Like, that's frustrating to me. I'm in something. I didn't know it was time for dinner. I'm trying to finish something up. That's frustrating for me as an adult. Think about that same thing for your child, right? You're over at some friend's house, and you go, all right, guys, clean up the game. We're going now. Let's go. Clean it up. I said it. First time obedience. Scott said so. Let's go. Clean it up. Those kids are invested. Maybe they've been playing that game for half an hour. That's mean, right? That's, that, that's, that's mean. What we have to do most of the time, there'll be times that we can't do it. Once again, I apologize. But we have to give our children 10 minute, we call it the 10 minute warning. Where I go, now it puts me, it's responsible on me to make sure that I don't exasperate my child. I go, hey guys, I know you're playing a game. In about 10 minutes, I need you to be wrapping that game up. And so whatever that means, we're going to be leaving in about 10 minutes. That gives them time to do that last couple turns or whatever they're doing. Same thing, we'll do the thing like, hey guys, dinner's going to be in 10 minutes or maybe 15 minutes. It allows them, they're watching a TV show, they're doing something to kind of get prepared, get ready, so that when I say, hey guys, it's time for dinner, off we go, and I have not exasperated my child. I haven't exasperated. We've got, we, we actually use it with each other. I was like, hey, time for dinner, and I'm like, in 10 minutes, and it helps one another, but it's a great help not to exasperate your child, right? But once again, there are times where we're like, I'm so sorry, I forgot. We have to leave. I know you're playing a game. Dad's so sorry. I do. I'll make it up to you somehow. I really do. I ask, please forgive me, but we have to go. And the kids go, that's fine, Dad, because I'm not characterized by that, because most of the time, I work very hard of going, hey, guys, we're time for, right? That's frustrating for your kids. And parents don't even realize why their kids get so emotional upset, because they're like, all right, time for bed. Let's go. And the kids are like, right, we were playing, right? And then you're like, okay, and we got the deal. Every bedtime, we have this big fit. We have this big old mess. You could have solved that by simply 15 minutes earlier going, hey, guys, we're going to bed in 15 minutes. So I need you to, you know, I know you're playing and having fun, so we'll start cleaning up in about 10 minutes, all right? And now the kids are emotionally prepared by the time you get to bedtime to be able, right? And then you don't create a big old mess and exasperate your child. Number, is that all of them? Number eight. Oh, that's a good one. I like this one. We talked about that one yesterday. Pre-activity. Okay, so that's what I think it is. 
Yeah, I think we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Yeah. Preactivity is a very great way. And did you want to go into that again, or you want me to start it off? Go ahead. So that's the one, I think we talked about this yesterday. It's pre It's the greatest pre-discipline ever. I fill the moral warehouse up before we get there. Hey, we're going to grandma's, remember? Right, we don't touch grandpa's remote. We don't, we don't turn the TV on and off. We don't run in the house. We quietly open the door. We don't slam the door in and out, go in and out. All right, guys? And, right, and then you get to the point where you start asking them, all right, we're going to grandma's house. What do we do? And they, they, they list off what they're going to do. We talked about that yesterday. And um, it's very powerful. Yeah. Our three-year-old granddaughter has all of these um, negotiation appeal and the pre-activity all done well. My daughter-in-law shared with me the other day, our three-year-old granddaughter, Olive, was wanting barbecue chips for breakfast. And her mom said, no, we're, that's her favorite type of chip. And she said, we're not going to have barbecue chips. And, and she said, okay, maybe after I eat what you want me to eat, I can have barbecue chips. <laughs> And her mom said, no, we're not going to eat barbecue chips for breakfast. It's not a breakfast food. She said her daughter thought for a minute, okay, well, tomorrow morning when I sit down, um, tomorrow we're going to do it. And you're going to give me barbecue chips. So just be ready that tomorrow I'm going to eat barbecue chips for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> very bold, very confident. And she just, you know, problem solving. <laughs> She told mom, so tomorrow when I ask, you're going to say, yes, that's okay, Olive, you can have barbecue chips for breakfast. Amen. All right, we got some questions here for tonight, and uh, some really good ones we'll get to. The first two are kind of the same one. Um, you know, how do you teach your appropriate romantic relationship with your teenage kids, uh, and what age do you think is appropriate for them be, to begin to have a boyfriend-girlfriend, to begin to to date. One of the things that we, we teach in, in the train up a parent is I never give my children a responsibility they can't handle. I think that's important. So it really allows you as a parent, right? Kids age differently. And some kids can handle certain things at, at 12 that other kids can't handle at 12. And some kids can't handle things at 15. And so parents are like, when can my daughter date? I'm like, I don't know. When can she? Because if she's 16 years old dating a 24 year old loser, she's not ready to date. I just can't, I can't allow you to destroy your future, so I have to make sure that I take that responsibility away from you. If you can't handle driving at 16 and be responsible with the car and come in at the time that I tell you to come home, then I guess this is just, I guess once again, in a way it's childishness because you can't handle the responsibility, so you don't get that. If you can't handle the responsibility, I won't give it to you. And we have to make sure that we guard our children. It's funny that we wouldn't let a four-year-old play with a knife, right? We're like, well, no, you're not going to play with a knife. That, that would be bad parenting. But then we allow our 15- and 16-year-old sometimes to do things that are just as dangerous as playing as a four-year-old with a knife. And we have to make sure that I guard your children's hearts until they're able to make good decisions. Are you able to date? I don't know. Are you? Now, one of the things that we do, I get it, you know, we have a 16-year-old daughter now. She's going on her, it'll be her third date on uh, Saturday, next Saturday for homecoming. She wasn't allowed to date until she was 16 years old, and she's very responsible. This is the way we do it. I believe that. You'll be fine. Now, they, ha they play the little boyfriend-girlfriend kind of game. We don't allow boyfriend-girlfriends, but they have a guy maybe they're talking to a little here or there. We're very like, hey, we're not going to the mall together. We are because, no, we're going to wait until you're 16 years old, and then here's the way the parameters work with that. And it's funny because I 
dreamed about you know the first time I got to talk to the guy taking her out of the date, and I handled it probably more aggressive than any. And I told him that I said, "Here's the thing, you probably have a lot of these meetings with different dads. This will probably be the one that you remember for the rest of your life. I have three <laughs> rules for you. These are my three rules, and they are non-negotiable. Number one, my daughter pays for nothing. That's what it is, because whoever she marries will provide for her, and so I have to make sure." I said, she may offer, but if I find out that she pays for anything, you'll no longer be allowed to date my daughter. Number two, she'll never open a door. If she gets into the car and I notice that she has to open the door herself, I will end the date at that exact moment. You will open every door for her. Number three, you will not kiss my daughter until you get my permission. I know this is aggressive, right? This is how I do it. I said, after about three or four dates, maybe a month, you may ask me and I will let you know whether or not you may give my daughter a kiss. So there you go. Do you have it? Do you understand it? This is between you and I. My daughter doesn't know about this conversation, right? Have a great day. And then I, when she comes home, she's like, yeah, he opened every door. I'm like, of course he did. And I go, and she goes, I tried to pay. He wouldn't let me pay. I go, well, that's weird. I don't know why. Okay, wow. I said, did he tell you about the talk? Yeah, he just said he can't tell me. I said, cool. I like him. Good for him. This is how I do it because, once again, I will not allow my daughter to get into a place that is going to get her to make decisions that are going to really pull her back in her life. And so we are a very big part of this process. Come on, somebody out there. Yeah, we are. Um, you know, with our it, – admittedly, it's different. From, it was different. It's different. It's different for a boy versus a girl. Obviously, I'm saying all the same things. It's just when I'm talking to the men, I'm telling my men, "You're going to be a man." Yes. Do the same. And, and I have my and, boys and do the same thing. Yes. And this is how you treat a woman. I don't care what society says. I don't care what your friends are doing. I don't care. This is how a man treats a woman. Just because she can doesn't mean she should have to. Period. Amen. Just because she can open up her door doesn't mean she should have to. Just because she can pay for her own way doesn't mean she should have to when it comes to the Anderson men. Now, I want to address a little bit of the romantic thing because we, we've counseled someone who, um, okay, I love group dating. I think it's super important that you encourage your children to, to go out in groups. But the reality is, is that hormones are good. Hormones are healthy in a marriage. If we shy away or we're so embarrassed about hormones and so embarrassed about talking to our kids about romantic stuff, right, they're going to get the information somewhere else. They're going to get it from somebody. And so I'm not telling you to encourage your kids to go practice kissing, but I am saying that if they're going to kiss, which, you know, is going to happen, then I want it to be in my family room or outside my front window where they can be interrupted and they can learn self-control. Because when they head off to college, if they've been so under this bubble of not being able to hold hands with the opposite sex or, or you know, kiss with somebody, kiss the opposite sex, for me, my conviction, my concern was, will they know how to, will, have they exercised self-control muscle? And so in our household, there's, it's a revolving door. There's kids 24-7, the people coming in and out all the time. 
So I love that they're in my basement watching a movie and they've got younger siblings that are popping in and popping out mm -hmm. and hey, and you know, and so sure, go ahead and hold your girlfriend's hand and put your arm around your girlfriend and you know, make googly eyes at each other, whatever, because someone's gonna come along and they're gonna make fun or laugh at you guys or tease. But it was, for us, it was effective in that and we had the open communication thing. That's a big one. I think talk, 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 talk. Communicate about the romance. And with our daughter, one of the biggest things that we've talked about is that you can never get that first kiss back. Yeah. Ever. Is it going to be spectacular? Or is it going to be one you wish you could get back? So think about it. And then we've asked, you know, I want to know. I want to know when you want to have your first kiss. Can I, do, you, do you give me permission to know? And I'm, and giving, I'm giving the boy the green light for homecoming, so I'm going to tell him next week. For a kiss? He gets the green light. Homecoming kiss. I thought we talked. Maybe not. I don't know yet. The light just went yellow. It's a yellow light. I didn't That's know. That's a hard I messed no. up. It went yellow. I thought it was green. They're not even boyfriend and girlfriend. They don't even so have I'm, titles with you're each right. other. There's no, I misspoke. It's red. There's no kiss. <laughs> Till she's, hard 20, till she's 25 no. years old. <laughs> no. Now, I guess as Holly, I got to ask Holly this. Is, do girlfriends ever go into the boys' room or do boyfriends ever go in the daughter's room? No. Ever. Never, never allowed in there. Absolutely not. You're always in a public area. Yeah. That'll never happen. And I do know but where you are and I know what's going on and I'm not intrusive. But once again, I have to make sure that I protect my children's future. That's on me. That's on us. One of the things that I and suggest for uh, men, I say take your daughters out for daddy-daughter dates. Yeah, for sure. So what we do is I have a conversation probably four times now. The greatest gift, Savvy, that you'll give your, hus your future husband, the best gift, there will not be a better gift you give to him than for you to save yourself for him. There's not anything, there's not anything in the world more important than your future to your future husband than if you give him your virginity. That's it. So I want you to make sure that you love him so much enough to say, I'm saving it for you. This is what I'm doing. And so I'm planting that in her moral warehouse. Once again, I'm giving her the whys. It's very important to your future husband that you've been with no other man. And so I'm giving her that to help give her the self-control if it ever does arise, right, that hopefully, right, that we put enough in there that she'll be able to say, no, I'm saving this for my future husband. Once again, our job is to put everything we can in their hearts. There comes a point, right? And we use the airplane example that, you know, I'd fly the airplane discipline-wise until I can give you control over it. Then there comes a time I'm on the ground and I'm giving you instructions as you fly the airplane. And I, there comes a point where they're flying on their own and I don't want you to crash it. And I have to make sure that I put in enough information in there that when you're flying, that I still have a voice into you, but yet you're going to follow the right voice that's going to give you the right future. And the other side of that coin is that God redeems, God redeems the mistakes. God sure redeems time. God redeems all of that. Um, but, yeah. What's better than redeeming is not needing it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And so that's how we're doing it. Yeah. Um, when do you talk to sex? Well, I guess I talk about it at five years old. There you go. So with like a... <laughs> you know, every kid's going to be different. And so you have to make sure that you're putting it in the, the right wise, having a good conversation. You're navigating. We believe in purity. So we really have that talk with our boys. 
Uh, Holly was big about we got the boys that they're little pure. We took them out for a little purity meal. We did talk. a curr- we did like a cu- we did a curriculum. We did a yeah. class with the boys, and then um, with Savvy, there was another. She doesn't get to kiss forever, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I that's guess. true. We're done. That is true. Yeah, she doesn't need it. Yeah, she's no got me. Yeah, she's got apparently. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was green. I thought it was good. All right. No, it's red. Doggone it's it. Red. Uh, it's a conversation. Not, I, and I should be more of the red than you. I'm glad. Wow. Write uh, this down. That should be in your notes. Pastor Holly found out. <laughs> I was, I was Third I was gonna, date. What? It's homecoming. They're 16. They went to DQ. Like, the, I'm like, oh. Uh, the I boy didn't. is working hard. You didn't kiss me for three months. It was three. It was two three weeks. Three months. It wasn't three months. It we was know three that months. was a lie. Was, I actually finally said, two you weeks. didn't kiss me? It, it, it literally happened. That's I got to know. I got to know if the lips fit. 100% <laughs> like, Well, she was the first pure Christian girl I ever dated. So, I always we don't got a, kiss? I always got a kiss on the first date. That's what I always did. That was what I did. I always got one. With her, though, she was different. She was in church. She was a good, pure girl. So I don't know how to do I'm that. I'm a female. So until she's like, are you going to kiss me? I'm like, oh, heck yeah. All right. How do you handle? Um, that was another date one. In a world where daycare is so expensive, how do you manage to make ends meet while still uh, paying for your, and, and you know, that's a question that can go a million different directions because there's so many different things that play into daycare and those things. Um, James Dobson, I, I love his stuff. If you haven't read all the stuff, we, we read it all. And he does talk about, now, and, I, and I'll be careful with this because if you're a woman who desires to go out and work in the workplace, good for you. Great, go make a place. I, 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 we celebrate that. But there's a place to celebrate also those moms that decide, I want to be home with my children when they're in the younger years, and I want to invest in it. That is a priceless job. And so Dobson does the math, and he says, here's the thing. By the time you get done with daycare and gas and everything else, it is more economical for you not to work and stay home with your children and, right, and allow your husband to work and provide than to go out in the world. And by the time you paid for daycare and paid for gas and paid for health and the kid and everything else that goes on, and you made like 17 cents an hour, yeah. right? You have to always, the Bible says, count the costs. So you have to look at the costs. But now if you are single, yeah. right, what you have to do is you have to start a little business up. I believe in that. Even if you found a way to make an extra 50 or or $100 a week, that's $433 extra a month. And so you find little ways, and God will bless what you put your hands to. He'll bless whatever that is. Be great in your job. Be great in what you're is. Find the way, and God will find a way to meet your needs. My dad, in order to go work for the church, he was making $50,000 a year doing uh, uh, installation of AC units in the union. And to go work for the church, he had to go down to $13,000 a year. And my parents go, here's the thing. God will provide. Now, my dad didn't just sit back and go, where's the money, God? But my dad started buying and selling cars. He would buy a car, fix it up, and sell it every week. And he ended up making more money than he did in the union because God will always bless what you put your hands to. There's infinite ways to make money today. And so, yes, if you want to be a stay-at-home mom, get it. Get your hands on it. I believe, I believe that's a great thing. right? That's the, uh, but if you desire to go work, go do that. But then also, God will provide. We had a single mom that was dealing with the same thing, and what she did is she thought, well, if I have this need, how many other women are out there and have the same need? And so she started a daycare in her home, and she obviously was only, you know, she followed the the state guidelines about how many she could have in her home, and she determined that she was going to just have that many, and and 
trust God that you know he was that that would pay the bills. And for her, it worked. Um, another option would be even we've had um, people in the church. Maybe there's a family member that wants to you know earn some extra cash, and so that's not a bad option either. Is if you've got someone who's on board with how you parent and and you trust them and that kind of thing. All right, I like this question a lot. How do you balance? serving in the ministry and family life so that children don't become resentful for personal stuff made and how do you teach them not to be upset by it? This is a big one, uh, even for those of you that serve within the church. Uh, many people in my generation, they grew up and they hate church today because their parents got their value system out of order. So they did God, ministry, family. That's out of order. The proper order is God, family, the ministry. The family has to be the priority, and your children have yeah. to know that they are more important than serving down in God's house. As long as they feel that way and they see that, where well, we have family night every week and nothing gets in the way of that, right? right? That we have our time uh, uh, at dinners and we have our things. Then as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's important that your family is serving God's house together, that we're building it. But it can never be at the sacrifice of the family. So you have to keep that in mind that family is first, right? We have to do family first. But the big mistake that I feel like that pastors make, raising children, why most pastors' kids do not go into pastoring. But yet, for me, I did. My kids did, right? Why is that? Because pastoring and ministry was not a chore, right? If you're driving home, right, and you're an usher, and you're like, oh, my God, we just give and give, and blah, 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 and it becomes a negative experience. If they're sitting in the back seat, and they hear everything that's wrong with church, and they hear everything that's wrong with the ministry, and how hard the ministry is, then do not be surprised that they don't want to be in the ministry, that they don't want to be a part of church. It is a joy to serve the Lord, to be able to give to God's house, and to give to God's people. My kids, your pastor kids, and there are benefits that come with that. I get it that people watch you closer than they do everything else but you can walk into the room and you're instantly popular you can't do that out at high school right there are benefits we are big about showing the benefits of being in the ministry and making sure that they know that being in the ministry is an amazing thing it's a great thing it's not hard because God gives me the strength yeah we work and we do things but God is always coming through and he blesses us richly so that is what has to be the message to your home and your family we were very intentional too I mean, um, we were, and we were very timely when the kids, especially when the kids were little. Um, you know, if I said we're done at this time, that's when I left. Mm -hmm. And I made myself stick to that. And we left. And if it wasn't over, I, I left. And I didn't make any apology for it. Like Scott said, we were very intentional with our words. We get to go to church. We get to serve. God trusts us. He entrusted us to get to have this position. Um, another thing for me was if my kids were just having their moment, I let them have their moment, and he went to church, and I did not. Now, obviously, I did not bail on serving. I did not bail on a job. I did not bail on something I had committed to because we are people who are committed and follow through. But if I had to go, um, if, if one of my kids needed to be at home and they just needed to know that that's okay, we're going to have those days, then I was very, very I was, that was very important to me. And Scott and I were on the same page with that. Communication with a spouse is really important on that, on that one. But we were really big on that. I never wanted my kids to resent church. So for whatever reason, it had to be a, a decent reason, mm -hmm. but um, I would. I would stay home with them, and he Especially would go. Especially like a lot. We'd have church. long conferences, and so mm -hmm. no. 
Mm -hmm. or not during the school week. I'm like, I'm down. You mm -hmm. take care of the kids and you stay home with the family. Mm -hmm. And that's reasonable. We go to church as a family and on Sunday, we serve on Sundays. My entire family, my daughter leads praise and worship, my son leads praise and worship. Every kid is serving in the church. But then after church, we have our amazing family time. Church was a blessing. It was a gift. It's something great. It's something we do. It's everything is in how you present it to your home and your family and making sure that you have the values in a correct order. All right. What do you do when your four-year-old son says, I love spanking in a mocking way? I love this one. It just means you're not doing it right, because I guarantee you, if I ask my four-year-old, you like a spanking? They're like, no, I don't like that. No. So it just means that you've got to learn how to do a proper spanking, and that's, of course, in there, because if the spanking doesn't bring some pain, then it's not, a, it, it's not doing its job. And maybe job. there's something else. Maybe that's not kryptonite to them. Maybe you need to, like, really hone in on something that would be a little bit more... And we had a son like that. Where we I, did. I failed his first spanking. I talk about that. His first spanking, that little hard booty of his, right? He, he just had this attitude. He's and, made of lead. And I just and I, I gave him a good one, and we got done, and he didn't cry. My hand hurt, and we just looked at each other, and he's like, is that all you got, right, kind of thing? <laughs> and I came out, and I said, honey, I think I failed that one. That was not a good one, right? And so we have to wait till he messes up again because the next one's going to be great. And then the next one, I, had, I, I, I made it great. And then now Daddy won. Amen? <laughs> uh, I have one. How to on. handle grandparents or other families, family members that don't align with your clear vision for your family. Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming this is like the parenting vision. Um, that's going to happen. Like, you will have those moments. I mean, there are going to be those people that disagree with you. And, yes, grandparents can get that sure. often because we, you know, we did the, we did the hard stuff. We did. We put <laughs> We're it in gonna the We're going to do time. the fun stuff. Um, I, you know, I'm a big believer in, again, communicating and, and, you know, just letting those family members first before you, you know, don't let them see the children. Um, I, I want them to know what you're endeavoring to do. And if they don't live with you, they don't know the hard parts. And so I would just communicate and, and, and I would say, hey, and I have done that. I've done that with Dr. Tom and Maureen. Um, and I think I alluded to it the other day about like breaking toys. You know, Dr. Tom and Maureen are so gracious and ah, no big deal. But for me at home, it was a big deal because I couldn't go and replace the toy that they broke. And so for me, it was a communication thing. I said, you know, we're actually working on that. So just so you know, I, I'm not okay with them stepping or treating your property in a manner that, you know, just eh, dismissive. And so first and foremost for me is communication. Communicate with those family members. And, you know, the reality, the reality is, is if they didn't birth that child, they don't have to understand it. You're mm -hmm. just politely asking them to respect it. And that's what I, that's, that's the position I would come from. That's so is, good. hey, you may not understand, and um, that's okay. Um, but I'm asking that you just respect that this is what I'm trying to accomplish in my home, and this is the manner in which I'm trying to do it. And then if not, I say, you ghost them. I'm just kidding. No, I'm never. just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't ghost anybody. No, for the most time. And grandma, let them be grandparents for the most part. They're grandma and grandpa. Don't get all, you know, don't get everything all bunched up in your life. You know, make sure that you have some grace for grandma and grandpa, that they're not going to follow the rules exactly and, and some of those. But there are times when, when grandma and grandpa are mm -hmm. watching the kid on every day while you go to work or something, and they're kind of, you know, doing that. So they're a part of raising the kids. And what we have a lot of parents do is go, hey, 
Will you go through train up a parent with us? We want to be on the same page. And when they hear the whys and how things are working, mm -hmm. the grandma and grandpa ultimately want that child to be raised up to be to, to have a great life. And That's so you help them get, once again, when we give people the whys, they usually want to follow it because most people are good people that want to do good things. Um, how do you, wait, I had one. Uh, what age do you start spanking? It's in the thing there. You know, spanking has different levels. There's a little, you know, the little boop, right? That's little. That starts at a pretty young age, right? Just little things. It could be just a little squeeze of the hand just to bring just a little bit of pain at, at like a year and a half, two years old. For the most part, it usually is just taking them in. Discipline usually is just putting them in their crib until they stop the fit or the tantrum. That's what you're trying to work on. Um, and then you you kind of gradually go up to like three years old. Once again, it's a little, sometimes a little swat on the booty. And then about four or five years old is when now we have the actual spanking that takes place. And like we teach you that, it should be a funnel. It should be discipline at one and two and three and four years old in all different levels based on their age. It goes by age, right? And then by the time they get four or five, you should have very little discipline. Six, seven, very little discipline, right? Nine, ten, it should just get real little amount of discipline because we did the work up front. We trained them. They listened to my voice. They heed my instructions. Their moral warehouse is getting filled. I'm dealing with a lot of childishness stuff, and that's normal, but I don't have a lot of foolishness by the time they're six, seven, eight years old. Um, was that a, I'm so sorry, was that a, about um, spanking? Yeah, it was a spanking. Okay, one of the big one, one of the big things, and you'll oh, read that in the book or read that in the curriculum, though, is that um, not embarrassing our children. So never. discipline is always like we we never that is I mean it never happened. There was never an audience. So no. I think that that is one of the greatest things that can really harm a kid is discipline, and that's even um, having to even reprimand like in in a strong way it still should there shouldn't be an audience no. it Come should here. be reserved for <laughs> you and that child and you and that child alone and so i would say that is key that is one key to like Very what private. age do you know um all of discipline it needs to be a private thing it's a personal conversation with you and your children um, child. how do you deal with a so a new sibling comes along and now your child is acting out some one, for those of you that are bringing a new sibling in the future, Holly does it amazing. She really spends so much time with the why, with that two or three-year-old or four-year-old, about the baby coming, getting excited. You got a little baby or a brother. It's, it's going to be never, so fun. It's going to be so amazing. It's never my baby. It's, yeah. ne it, it's ours. It, it was always, always, always our baby. <gasps> We're having a baby, and it just came out of me. I don't even know until a while like later. I realized, wow, my wording on that, I've n I never, ever, ever wanted to create, maybe subconsciously, this thing that this is mine, this is happening to me. It was a family affair. <laughs> We're having another one. And I really made sure that um, all the siblings were a part of that and that there was an excitement around it and and I tried really hard not to belabor the fact that time was going to be even less um, or that it was going to get loud in the house or that it was going to get crazy for a while. I was very, very careful um, and as odd as it is, you know, if they had a, had a stuffed animal or if they had like a, if there was a doll or whatever, I'd say, oh, grab Grab your, grab our baby. Let's put our baby in the car. Especially when I got closer to having our children or the child, I would have that child, that youngest one. I would have them 
literally bring their favorite stuffed animal or I'd say, well, go grab our baby. Let's put our baby in the car. Let's strap our baby in and just really start getting them acclimated. And, you know, Peyton was five when Savannah was born. And understand, he was the baby for all this time. And then he's the baby of all the sons. And so now here comes the, the you the know. Daughter. The chair, the, the ice cream, it's the girl. They wanted a girl, you know? And I look back now and, I, and I have, I've asked him, I'm like, you know, I hope you did not feel like, okay, bye, bye, Peyton. Because he was, the, in, he was the, the baby for five years. And then we got the girl and it was like new. I mean, it was all new. It was like, this is so cool. It's a girl. And even the older guys were like, oh, wow, she cries like on command. That's really crazy. Like they were so baffled by her emotions and, and Peyton loved her from day one. And I, I'm not going to take credit for it at all, but that is a really awesome question that you asked. And I think being mindful of it, I think the fact that you even are aware of it is you, it, you're going to be amazing. And Hollywood, she was very uh, purposeful and doing something special with the children I as was. the baby came to yep. make them feel special. There's still a standard, right? But we have grace and we understand jealousy and those things come in. So we still act this way, but we, our discipline is way down here as we're navigating, help them navigate for a period of time of something new, right? And so we still are doing, trying to be uh, purposeful in, in making it special and making it great and making them feel special all along the way. Well, and Peyton got promotion. So there, is there a promotion that you can give this little person that's got this, you know, impending newcomer coming into their world? Is there something that you can add now, a, a freedom you can give that little two-year-old or three-year-old that makes them go, oh, I'm a big brother or I'm a big sister? And is there a job? that you can give them, you know, you get the honor of... Changing the diapers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Waking up in the middle of the night to feed the baby. Ooh, I love that job. I want to do this last one. This will be the because this is a good one. And this deals with so many things that we've had with our children and different things that, you know, kids are kids and things are going to get in there. They're going to deal with stresses and fears and anxiety. How do you deal, yeah. do you train up a child that is battling anxiety, fear, stress? This also goes, um, our daughter was dealing with low self-esteem. She went through something like that. And... Um, you know, this is, happens to kids. And one, we want to make sure that we're ready for what we call that secret time when a child opens up their heart and says, hey, I'm dealing with this. Allowing you to come into their heart is a kind of a big thing. And if you come in there and make a mess out of it, then they probably won't invite you back in there. So we have to be very careful with it while we try and steer them carefully because it is hard to say, I deal with fear or I deal with stress. And so they let you know. One of the most powerful things that we have at our disposal to teach our children is the power of our words, right? Begin to speak it. So you say to your child, I know that you're afraid. I get that. And, you know, and sometimes giving your own example, I remember when I was, and I was fearful and stressed out. But I want you to know that you weren't created to have that way. So you're explaining the why. God didn't make you to have fear and to have stress and worry. And so we have to find a way to navigate and get rid of that. So how do we do that? One, I want you to begin to speak three times a day. I want you to look in the mirror and say, I'm not afraid. Stress, I'm not. I'm full of peace, right? I'm not anxious about anything. I'm confident, right? And you begin to speak it throughout the day. And I want you to remind yourself in your mind to capture every thought. Well, what does that mean? That means that when you think a thought that's stressful, I want you to think something that's not. I want you to remind yourself 
that God, right, this is what I call the reciprocal. You attack things with the opposite. I want you to work on today, and we'll talk about it at the end of the day, that when you begin to feel something stressful, I want you to think about something peaceful. I want you to think about coming home and, and maybe playing your video game or playing. And I want you to work on capturing that thought and then reminding yourself that, well, my mom and dad or my mom or my dad would never allow that to happen to me. And so you're just going to be battling this, and it's going to take a little bit of time. But if we speak it and you capture your thought over time, then there'll come a point where you're no longer allowing yourself to be full of stress and fear. And you're giving your kids a tool to help them in the future, that they re realize that I do have the power to navigate my emotions by controlling my thoughts and by controlling my words. And so when Savvy was dealing with some self-esteem stuff, I said, all right, every day, you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you go, I am beautiful. I am gorgeous. My personality is amazing. God made me, and God made something awesome and unbelievable. And I want you to say it and smile and speak it into the mirror every single day. When you know, just uh, at youth camp this year, she was sharing with me, we're driving, and she goes, Dad, I had the opportunity to pray with a girl, and she had low self-esteem. And I said to her what my dad said to me, and it worked like a charm. I spoke into the mirror, and she said, I begin to believe in myself. And what you see is you begin to gravitate somebody who touches other people because I gave her the tools to deal with something. I didn't say, hey, don't, be, don't have low self-esteem. I gave her something that she could apply and she could work on and something that she could do. And that's what we have. We have to give our children the tools. We don't just say, well, don't be fearful of fear. They're like, well, how do I do that? We have to make sure that we give our children the tools that it takes to deal with those obstacles in their life. Yeah. This, um, well, panic attacks are real. Yes. It's, 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 a, it's, a very real, it's a very real thing, so we're not undermining that at all. Of course all. not. We have firsthand knowledge of that. Um, oftentimes when, and, and I'm talking like if, if this little person is dealing with, like if we're talking cold sweats, racing heart, that type of thing, um, quite, it, it, there's a great chance that there is something, there, there's a bigger something they're holding themselves accountable to, that they don't feel that they can meet, make the mark or do it within a timely manner or, you know, and, and maybe all of that all the time. And they just have to, like Pastor Scott said, know that they have everything they need to do. They have everything, they're equipped with everything they need to be able to do what they're going to do in their life. And that just needs to be spoken over them. They just need to know in that moment just to stop and breathe and, and but... They still have to, you still have to expect the standard because you don't want to lower the standard because then you're kind of coming into agreement with everything negative they could possibly think, be thinking about themselves. Right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like you can't come into agreement with it by saying, well, we'll give you a, a, a pass. They no. need to know that they have it because we don't want to come into agreement with what they already think they can't do. Does that make sense? So that's how the enemy really likes to get us as parents. Um, so reaffirming you have everything that you need and we can take as much time as you need to breathe right now to collect your mind and then remind them they can choose and remember it might be you you might be dealing with stress and anxiety and they learning it from you so maybe you need to battle sometimes when we take jericho our kids walk into the promised land 
And oftentimes the things that our kids are dealing with is because they hear us and they watch us dealing with stress and anxiety, and we haven't beaten it. But as soon as you beat it, now I have the tools that can pass on for generation, and as soon as you kill those generational curses in your life, your children don't have to worry about it. Right. And, you know, and it still comes, you know, he, he, you know, he's 25 years old. And I had to say, because he was all stressed out about work, I said, son, I need you to do the what ifs. He goes, what does that mean? I go, so, so you don't get that done. What happens? He's like, I, I don't know. I said, there you go. I said, give your best, do your all. And if it doesn't get done this week, then okay, there you go. And you've got to stop allowing yourself to be so stressed out because when you're stressed out, you can't think clearly. And then when you can't think clearly, you can't accomplish the task. And because you can't talk, accomplish the task, you keep stressed out. I said, so you just got to relax and be able to go, all right, if I don't get it done, right? That's the, Early on in preaching, what I used to do is because I would be all stressed out about preaching and all nervous about getting up. But then I just said, yeah, what if I suck? Who cares? Whatever. Doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? I, that was literally what I would say to myself. If I suck, I suck. I guess that's the way it's going to be. And then my mind goes, okay, well, if we suck, we suck. There we go. Let's go preach. And then it helped me deal with the fact that, and then I still gave my best always, and I always grew, but that's how I dealt with that. And so you'll get tools in your own life that you can give to your children as you overcome stress, worry, and fear.